from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It is the Craig Needles Podcast here at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca, and on your very favorite podcast app. And I would like to spend this podcast talking about the proposed deal to expand, to renovate Budweiser Gardens. I was at London City Hall today for a meeting. I'm going to play you the results of some of those conversations on this podcast. But first, I just want to get everyone on board here with what the conversation is and what the deal with Budweiser Gardens is. Because I've seen some things on Twitter and I've had some people say some things to me that uh, just are not quite accurate. So first thing I want to get out of the way here, and this is just in the interest of figuring out some facts. The idea of paying for an arena upgrade of Budweiser Gardens with money from you and I out of the property tax base has been compared to some of the disaster arena deals we've seen given to pro teams in various spots around North America, where it just works out really, really terribly for the people who are paying the freight. This is different. Here's the key reason why. One, the city of London still owns the arena. It's a complicated ownership ownership structure, but the city of London owns this arena. So when we're talking about the London Knights, they're essentially, via a series of steps, the city of London's tenants at the arena. London Lightning, same thing. They're tenants, right? So this is not the same as buying an arena for a billionaire. We are paying for an upgrade to an arena that you and I, essentially, own. Here's how the structure works. Just if you're if you're not sure, if you didn't know this, here's how the structure works. The city of London owns the land that the rink is on. So you probably understand that that land is from the corner of King and Talbot all the way down Talbot towards Dundas, then down from the corner of Dundas and Talbot to Rideout. So that's the, the, the block that the arena sits on. And the city of London owns that land. The city of London leases a portion of the land to the London Arena Trust for a base rent. And that deal is in place for 50 years. So we're, year, we're in year uh, 21 of that 50-year deal. So the London Arena Trust owns the building in trust for the city. The London Arena Trust leases the building to London Civic Center Limited Partnership. The partnership includes OVG 360, which was at one point known as Global Spectrum, and Ellis Dawn. So OVG 360 manages the building. And they're responsible for the sale of things like naming rights, Budweiser Gardens, advertising, attractions, suites, club seats, all that stuff. So they go out and make the money. And then the city gets a portion of it. Here's how that works. The city receives a share of the net proceeds. They get a minimum payment of $50,000. They get a share of the proceeds from tickets. So the city's share of net proceeds from operations... As it currently sits, it's gone up over the years, but it currently sits, it's at 50, uh, 70% rather. And that is going to be the case, provided the deal is not altered, between now and the expiration of this agreement, which will occur in 2052. 
So that's the quick notes as far as how this partnership works. So we get money, we being the city of London, which if you were listening to me and you live in the city of London, you're, you're part of the, part of the, the, the we here. We get money that goes up, the number of dollars we get goes up if Budweiser Gardens does better, sells more tickets, gets more big events, right? Now, we're not rolling in it, to be clear. It's not a license to print cash, but when you factor in the spinoff benefits of what is happening in and around Budweiser Gardens, the downtown core, and how Let's be honest, for a lot of people living in the city, going to stuff that happens at Budweiser Gardens is the only thing that brings people downtown. Let's just be real, real about that, okay? So, because of the existence of Budweiser Gardens, London's downtown is better. You may not like the state of downtown. Fair enough, neither do I. But are we better off downtown because Budweiser Gardens is there? Yes, we specifically are. Are we better off because of the best in the world level junior hockey program the Knights run? Yes. Because of those big events like the Briar that we just had? Yes. Downtown London and the city of London in general is better off because those things are there. I think everyone should agree with what I just said. None of what I just said should be considered to be controversial. That's just all factual stuff. So... When we're talking about do we improve Budweiser Gardens, I just wanted to be very clear that we get specific benefits from improvements of Budweiser Gardens. Now, does that mean that improving Budweiser Gardens to the tune of $33 million, 80% funded by the City of London, is that worth the price of admission? Well, some may be able to agree or disagree on that. And we'll talk about what the stakes are on that in just a minute. But I wanted to be clear about what the parameters are here. And the parameters are, this is the discussion of improvements for a city-owned facility. We are not doing this for just the London Knights. Now, is the, are the London Knights the biggest beneficiary of the locker room expansion idea, which would cost about $2.48 million? Yes, of course they are. But there are benefits to the city of London for that as well. And not just because, well, the London Knights will be able to recruit better players. But we're talking about locker room space for figure skating events or whatever it happens to be. Okay? So that's, that's part of the conversation here. At City Hall today, I would say that this particular proposal got a rough ride from members of the Civic Works Committee, specifically Sam Trosso and to some extent, David Ferreira. And hey, that's fine. I've got no problem with counselors saying, hey, I want to know what's up with this. Give me the details. Give me the facts. I've got no problem with that. Now, some of it, when we're talking about rewording motions, seemed to me like we were doing a little bit of overkill there, but that's neither here nor there and not necessarily what I want to talk about on this podcast. I just want to give people the facts on what the deal is and what it would look like. So as I said earlier, the estimated cost would be about $33.3 million. 80% will be picked up by the city of London. Now, some of that money would come from the city's, call it a hotel tax. Some of that money would come from the city's hotel tax, which is a 4% surcharge on hotel rooms booked in the city every night's day, hotel room, 
4% surcharge. And that money goes into a big pot. That big pot produces roughly $1.6, $1.7 million a year. If we don't count the COVID years of 2020, 2021, and to a lesser extent, no, we'll say 2022 was not one of the COVID years. I understand. Please do not email me saying COVID's still around, Craig. I get that. But for the purposes of tourism, COVID is over. Just from this particular conversation, no one plans tourism around COVID-19 anymore. Or at the very least, no one who's in a position of power is planning tourism around COVID-19. If you have a problem with that, email your counselor, email someone from the city of London, email someone from the province. Don't email me because... I don't control that, but let's just be honest and be reasonable and be real about what's going on in the world. No one who works at the tourism center, no one who works at the city of London saying, hey, we're going to have fewer people in London this year because of COVID. That, that conversation isn't happening because that's not what's going on. It's about $1.6, $1.7 million a year that they bring in. So there isn't quite enough to cover all of this renovation and expansion but they want to borrow some money from this fund and have some money come from the tax base as part of the multi-year budget, which would get going as of next year. So that's their plan. That's what they want to do. And some people not necessarily happy about that. But some would tell you that we have to do it. That if we want to continue to get big events, we need this facility to be better. One of those people would be Brian All, who's the general manager of Budweiser Gardens, who spoke to me moments after the Corporate Services Committee voted five to zero in favor of going ahead with asking staff to take a look at, hey, what would this plan look like? Here's the wording of the motion, just to be clear. Uh, the Budweiser Gardens expansion proposal be received for information. Municipal Council provide direction to civic administration to prepare an amending agreement for the proposed expansion to bring forward a confirmed source of funding, financing for phase one and funded through the Tourism Infrastructure Fund, if desired, it being noted that phase two will be forwarded to the 2024-27 multi-year budget process. Now, there are some councillors who had concerns about this going before the multi-year budget process. There are some changes to the wording. My conversation with Brian Ohl moments after they got out of that particular portion of the meeting where Brian Ohl did speak and answer some questions for counselors. Brian, first of all, you got what I think is what you wanted to hear happen today, the 5-0 approval. That was kind of step one. Uh, your reaction to what we heard on the council floor just now? Um, well, overall, you know, we're happy. Um, would have liked it to, to go forward without those amendments. Mm -hmm. um, I think it just slows the process down a bit. Um, we're, you know, obviously the, the sooner we get approval, the sooner we can start up buying materials and things like that. Um, but we're happy that it, it, it is moving forward uh, and that was that it wasn't a no. Um, but uh, we would have liked to have gone through without the, without the amendments. Maybe it could have been a little smoother, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why does Budweiser Gardens need this, uh, this investment? Well, you know, the building's 20-plus years old, and, um, you know, as uh, Mr. Luco had said, uh, you know, we're being bypassed. You know, there's new technologies. 
um, new ways of doing things that uh, the building certainly needs to be upgraded to, to meet, meet the needs in the future. So tell me just a little more for folks who don't know about how this expansion of the, the back house would work. Are we talking about adding more square footage to the building or just sort of changing around sort of the, the insides of the building? How would it work? Yeah, it's a it's a renovation and an expansion. Um, phase two is really the, the expansion portion of it, but the renovation, renovating uh, the first phases, uh, the the um, concessions uh, in, in really enhancing the experience for the, the for the customers. The ex phase two part is the expansion that's given us space inside the building so that we're not renting tents and and doing other things for these other events that make them more it makes us kind of prices us out of getting some of these events well i remember the uh, memorial cup in uh, what year was it here was it 15 either way 14, 14 yeah there's uh, massive huge tents outside and that's where the media was doing most of the work we weren't trying to avoid that situation yeah the, and that's really that's probably the biggest driver is the media um but you know when you when an event comes in it has to spend another hundred thousand dollars uh, compared to another venue it it it, it, uh, it makes us uh, makes the competitiveness uh, more difficult so uh, what are we hoping for timeline here as far as when this gets started obviously assuming council is okay to go ahead with this but obviously that might we might see some bump in the road there when do you want to get started on this then Brian um, would have liked to get started tomorrow um, I don't know uh, quite honestly don't know what this all means in terms of timelines because I don't know what you know when the next vote then happens so um, I'd don't, don't have an answer for you there. Up in, up in the air, I suppose. And before I let you go, Brian, uh, you mentioned other centers sort of passing by. What, what other places have arenas that are sort of comparable in size to us as far as uh, uh, this type of venue that would be sort of taking events that London may otherwise have an opportunity to get? Well, you know, I look at, I mean, look at, the, I'm trying to think of which memorial couple was, but yeah. uh, uh, Mississauga, they, mm -hmm. they did everything under under their roof. Um, and uh, that's the kind of thing that we're, we're talking about, you know, those other venues like that. What would seating be like? Like when this is all done, if it goes the way oh, that you see, guys scenery doesn't doesn't change. Yeah. Oh, doesn't go up or down. No, okay. no. I think we're we're at the right number. Okay. You know, for seating, it really is the back of house space right. uh, enhancements for for the artists to track and and reduce the having to spend extra for for tents, and then it's the front of house uh, the, the the amenities for the for the the customers coming in the front door there, the patrons. So there's Brian Oles take. Now one of the key points of contention during the meeting was a discussion about the London Knights locker room and an improvement there for $2.48 million. So uh, as you heard Brian describing, they're going to expand the footprint of the building a little bit and then renovate what they have is the, is the plan is what they're hoping to do. So that locker room space would still be able to be used for other events, skating and things along those lines. And the Knights would be essentially furnishing it. The workout stuff would go in there, but I still understand why, there are people in this community who see the London Knights as essentially um, a money printing outfit because, oh boy, do they ever make money there. And hey, good for Mark and Dale Hunter. They run a top-notch hockey program and they get the financial windfall of that. I've got no problem with that. However, I get why people might say, why are we paying for a locker room for them? $2.48 million, a lot of money. It's a lot of cash. I also understand why there is some question over the 80-20 split as far as who's paying for what. I do think it's important to note, though, that hotel tax thing we were talking about earlier. 
that would take up a significant chunk of it. And that hotel tax money, I want to be very clear, can't be spent on something that doesn't bolster tourism in the community. Can't be spent on anything that doesn't do that. It's against the law. So where other than Budweiser Gardens would that money be better spent, I think is a fair question. And I don't know if one can come up with such an answer. If the goal is try to get as many people to London as you can who don't otherwise live here. If the goal is try to fill our hotel rooms as much as you possibly can, where better than Budweiser Gardens spend that money? Think about it this way. If you get two events that are big ones that you otherwise wouldn't have gotten because of this expenditure, it's probably worth it, right? Just when you factor in spinoff, when you factor in hotel tax money and things along those lines. Is it not worth it at two events? Does it not kind of justify the expenditure? Now, hey, maybe you don't think that. And maybe you don't think we're going to get those two events that wouldn't have otherwise come here. Maybe that's your belief. Hey, Craig, the next time we bid for the Canadian Figure Skating Championships or the Junos or whatever it happens to be, uh, this $33 million is going to move the needle in our chances one way or the other. Okay. You believe that. Now, Cheryl Finn is a general manager of Tourism London. I spoke with her after the meeting, and here is what she believes. Just from a tourism perspective, you, you stood up and you, you said, you know, this is something that we need. We want to keep getting big events in London. We talk all the time, but okay, we got the Briar, that's great. The kind of the white whale has been the world juniors. Is something that you think we would need to get an event like that in the city? We do. We need that. That's a given. We've been told by the event managers from that event specifically that that's what we will need to get that event. Well, I was just talking with Brian about how for the Memorial Cup was last year, we had to set up sort of the tents outside. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing some work on there when I was, when I was covering the Memorial Cup. Uh, there's no way that the World Juniors is going to require less space. So we don't want to do that in January, I suppose. It's probably a good thought process. It absolutely is a good thought process. And, and not only that is, you know, there's so many more that we could bring in um, that if we we don't get that space it disqualifies us from an already incredibly competitive market right so like so getting briar back as an example world Mm -hmm. figure skating championships back as an example are those the types of things that we would be wanting to go for if we were to do this absolutely and even you know world absolutely i would love to have that back um junos would love to have those back so those where we've proven what we could do with less imagine what we could do with more right uh, is there a thought process as far as expanding the number of seats I, i've seen some people who are critical of this saying hey we should be you know be saving our, our money and having a, a a larger venue i think it's tough to have a main tenant of uh, something be of a junior hockey team and have a seat capacity of more than nine thousand. so that's that's part of the conversation but would you want there to be a, a arena at some point with more seats than what we have right now or is that just not an option do you think i i would never say it's not an option mm-hmm. but it really does work for us if mm-hmm. you if you flip that thinking the ability to offer a really intimate experience for the fan uh, is something that has bode well for us in our bids that have brought those events into the city what about concerts how would this change as far as the number of concerts we can get here that one i i mean every every artist likes what they like um but that green room space is critical to uh what we're able to offer an artist when once they're here they're they're um 
performances and the intimate experience between fan and performer is one thing, but that green space to allow the performer to come in, to really bring the performer in, is the sales tool that's a little bit lax right now. Right. And this also comes from a fund that, not all of the money, but a lot of money would come from a fund that is populated essentially by people booking hotel rooms here. So this is sort of, I don't know if we wouldn't necessarily want to say it pays for itself, but the fewer concerts you have, the fewer big events you have, the fewer hotel stays you're going to have. So that's part of the conversation here. It absolutely is. And I would challenge that back to you and say, yes, and that is a conversation okay. we need to have is that um, we do have the data that would support a return on investment. We're paying our ourselves back through the events that we're able to bring in because we we know we're attracting people we know we're putting heads in beds in the hotel we know that those people are replenishing the municipal accommodation tax which allows us to do more there's cheryl finn general manager of tourism london and and look i get that there's going to be people who are skeptical about this is this really going to provide the return on investment required to make this the right deal. And to their credit, what has happened at London City Hall is the mayor crafted a motion that said the following at the very end. That the Civic Administration bring forward a review of the financial case for the expansion, including but not limited to an overview of the City of London's return on investment expected from the proposed phases of the expansion and comparison with the return on investment in the current agreement. So there would be some changes to the agreement that would be involving uh, payback for the pandemic years when the place was essentially empty. And there'd be some changes involving the percentages of what the City of London takes home when that have been proposed here. And not, none of this is finalized. But that's the conversation that is going to be had next. But no one's agreed to anything yet. This is going to go under the microscope and we're going to see. But I understand why some people want to see a little bit more before they're sold on it. I just think the following things. One, we have punched way above our weight when it comes to getting world-class events to come to a city this size in an arena that size. And that is to the credit of the folks of Tourism London. That's to the credit when it comes to the Junos from a committed, really passionate, intelligent group of Londoners who made that happen that deserve a ton of credit. And I'm thinking of uh, people like Chris Campbell, who's been on this podcast before, um, and other folks who are on staff at Tourism London, Natalie Wakabayashi, who I, who I know. Folks like that deserve a ton of credit for the fact that that happened. Are we going to be able to do those things if the arena falls further and further behind what other competing cities are doing. And I'm not saying that I know for sure what the answer to that is. Maybe no, maybe yes. I think two, hour, two hours from London is going to be attractive no matter what the city, or two hours from Toronto rather, is going to be an attractive selling point for London, even if we don't improve the, the arena. But we still may see an event or two pass us by. Hey, maybe we want to do Memorial Cup again sometime soon. I know that the CHL may not want to come back to London anytime soon. They just they did two and nine years here. I understand that. But maybe that's going to be something that we try to do again. And hey, maybe it's going to be easier if there's more space than the rink. Maybe we want to get the Junos back again in a few years. Maybe we want to get some 
other big time events, World Figure Skating Championships, Canadian Figure Skating Championships, whatever it happens to be. Are we going to be able to do that without doing this? That's the argument we're getting from Budweiser Gardens. That's the argument we're getting from Tourism London. And I suppose I'll leave it up to you, listener, to decide how you feel about that argument. But I want to leave you with that. And I want to leave you with one more thing. The fact that we're talking about this is a win for the Council of 1997. And I would be remiss if I did not point out that my good friend Cheryl Miller was one of the drivers here, as was Gord Hume and a few others. This arena could have been 5,000 seats and out by the 401 and a completely dated concept five years after it opened. That was on the table. Instead, it was 9,000 seats in the downtown core and one of the greatest parts, if not the greatest part, of our downtown core. That is undeniably a massive win for the people who made that choice. Without them, we would be a worse off city. I think that is a very, very easy case to make. Further to that, there was the thought that the curtains that go around the upper level, the upper bowl of Budweiser Gardens, that's to be used back when it was around the Bat Center for London Knights home games in a lot of cases. It was pointed out at the committee meeting today, never once, never once have those curtains had to be used for a London Knights game. That is to the credit of the Knights organization. That is to the credit of the folks who have created this arena deal. That's a credit to the junior hockey fans here in the city of London. So I'm not saying, well, we're going to lose the Knights. We're not going to be able to get 9,000 a night at Budweiser Gardens if we don't do this deal. I'm not telling you that because that's ridiculous. No one should tell you that. But if we want the big events, the people who are in the industry are arguing, we need to do this. We'll see if council is convinced. I wanted to just get sort of where we're at and what is going on on the record here in sort of a quick half hour snippet for you to listen to just so everyone's caught up and understands what we're discussing because I've seen some people who are not quite sure at the very least seem to be confused about some elements of it. So here that is. I hope that you uh, enjoyed listening to it and I appreciate the folks that download it, listen to and subscribe to the Craig Needles podcast, which of course can be found at londonnewstoday.ca, classicrock981.com and wherever it is you get your podcasts. The Craig Needles podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. 